Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. So we were, we were, I introduced a new series last week, and really the, the focus for this short couple weeks is that I want to make sure that as we begin to launch into this series, that we are making sure that we're paying attention to ourselves like that we're paying attention to the way that we're responding as believers, specifically to other believers. And I think that our church does a pretty good job of responding well to non-believers because we don't have expectations placed on them, really, to, you know, if they're not saved, then why should we think that they should act like they are, you know, like sinners are going to sin, right? You know, but, but what happens then is there's this, There's this shift that happens that when we get saved and we start walking in the ways of God, that there's suddenly this expectation that you're going to be mature really fast. And that's not really the way it works, you know. And so what we're going to be doing is laying an outline, kind of just trying to show what it looks like from the Bible. You know, what it, you know, when we get saved, we actually, the, the power of sin got broken off of our life. The power of sin, his ability, the ability of sin to control us like a slave master got broken. And now we get to step into this place called liberty or freedom where we now get the opportunity to say no to sin or to say yes to it, right? Because now we're free. We're no longer being ran by a taskmaster where I didn't have a choice but to sin. Now I'm suddenly free and I get an opportunity to live in freedom and all that, that means. And it means that I have the freedom to choose to sin or I have the freedom to choose to walk in righteousness. But now I have the freedom. And let me go on to say, grace is our teacher that teaches us how to walk into righteousness. So I also have the grace of God that shows me and empowers me to walk into that freedom. So we have everything given to us for life and godliness. That's in Second Peter. And we get to choose whether we're going to walk in that or whether we're not, okay? So we're going to be talking a lot about that. But before we start really hitting into the, the points on that in, this, in the scripture, which I have always kind of peppered it in there, I, I want to really talk to us, continue to talk about what it looks like to dig for gold in other people's lives. Because if we lose sight of the fact that somebody has the freedom to walk into righteousness, and we begin to expect them to be perfect always before the Lord, we're doing them a disservice. I'm going to start off with just, yeah, I'm going to start off with just reading out of John 1.45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, did I think, yeah, Philip, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, so Philip had just gotten called to follow Jesus. And now Philip turns around and he goes and he finds Nathanael. And he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. I think, so when Ben Williams had come, he brought up this scripture verse, and I, I loved it. Like, when he said it, I was just like, this is such a great scripture verse for talking about digging for gold for people. Because what happened was, Philip goes up to Nathaniel, you know, and clearly they, they must have known each other to some degree. And he goes up to him, and he was like, I found him. Come, come and see. Come and see who Jesus is. And then he says, he's from Nazareth. Nazareth. And Nathaniel's first response was judgmentalism. He immediately had an expectation of what anybody who came from Nazareth was going to be like. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, we've kind of heard that. It's like Warrensburg, right? Like, what? <laughs> you know, I kind of feel like that about St. Louis. Sorry to those of you who are from St. Louis. You know, like, we're from Kansas. Like, I'm from Kansas City. You guys might not be. I am from Kansas City. You know, and so I'm like, Kansas City's amazing. St. Louis, uh, that's, that's like the armpit of the state. You know? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but it's that perspective to immediately put, he immediately heaped judgment and, and like, ooh, on the person of Jesus, you know? And I love Philip's response. Philip didn't argue with him. He didn't, like, try to defend Jesus or anything. He was just like, come and see. Come, just come and see with me. And so Nathaniel decides to go. How many times in the New Testament, when, when in, I guess should should say in the Gospels, did Jesus read people's minds? The Bible says many times he knew what they were thinking, Right? I'm pretty sure Jesus understood exactly what Nathaniel had said. Amen. So when Nathaniel walks up to him, Jesus wasn't like, so you think all people from Nazareth stink, huh? <laughs> he didn't immediately start poking at the judgmental attitude that Nathaniel carried. He didn't even point it out at all, actually. Instead, what he did was he built Nathaniel up. He saw the beauty that God had already put into Nathaniel, and he called it out of him and said, this is who you are. So he called him an Israelite. Eh, that doesn't really mean much to us, but it'd be like saying, he's an American. Okay, well, what does that mean? Or, you know, but, but in the time, it meant something. How many times did Jesus, or I guess there was a few times where Jesus had said, you know, I could raise up Jews from the rocks. You know, I could raise up, and, you know, and what he was saying was, it, it's who you are. Like, you, like there, was a, there was an identity that it meant to be an Israelite. There was an identity that you should be walking in. And all of us, we kind of have that in America, right? Like, if you had said, oh, man, he's a true American, what does that mean? A true American. I mean, that's somebody who stands for their nation. It stands for values. They have, they have strong values about who we are as a nation, right? They, they are for us, and they are strong, and they're going to be going out, and they're going to be trying to bring freedom to people. That's kind of what it looks like, right? We fight for what's right. We want to see things change. That's what it looks like to be an American. For a Jew, it looked a little bit different. Albert Barnes had said, he was a commenter from the early 1800s. He said what it meant was this is one who was really an Israelite, not by birth only, but one who was worthy of the name, one who possessed the spirit, the piety, and the integrity, which become a man who is really a Jew, one who fears God and obeys his law. 
It meant a lot more than just saying where he came from. He was actually calling, like he was saying, I see you walk in integrity. I see that you really are going after the heart of God. You carry something. You follow the law. And then he goes on, he said, in whom there is no deceit. He saw the beauty and the, the, the gold is the term that we're using. He saw the gold in Nathaniel and he immediately called it out of him. And Nathaniel stepped back and he was like, you saw me. You saw me. There was something so incredibly powerful about God honoring who Nathaniel was in front of people. He could have easily said, you're a little bit judgmental and critical, aren't you, Nathaniel? But instead he said, there's, there's nothing in you that's full of deceit. You're, you're true. Like you're literally looking for the truth and you're serving God. That's what he saw in him and that's what he called him out as. And Nathaniel, it changed his life. It changed his life. This is the thing that we're trying to go after when it comes to the way that we see not only unbelievers, but believers specifically. Like as a church body, when we look around at other people, they might be a little bit judgmental. They might be a little bit critical. They might have an ewy sin that we don't like to look at. They might not have their life perfect and buttoned up and everything in order, right? But instead of looking at that and focusing on, ooh, that person's a little bit judgmental, we need to be listening to what the Holy Spirit said because how did Jesus know Nathaniel? He knew him through what the Holy Spirit said. He said, when you were by the fig tree. Now, I was looking this up, and I couldn't quite figure out exactly the truth on all this stuff. But most of the commenters that I was reading actually said that when Nathaniel was by the fig tree, that that's actually used, it was a New Testament term for where they went to pray. And what they were saying was that he probably wasn't even with an eyesight of Jesus when he was praying, that Philip actually went out to find Nathaniel. It wasn't like Philip's walking along with Jesus and he happens to look over and under a fig tree, there's Nathaniel praying. It probably didn't mean that. It probably meant that Philip got called by Jesus and then he went searching for his friend Nathaniel. And he found him when he was praying under a fig tree. And Jesus was able to look at him and to say, I saw you before he was ever even possible to see, be seen. Holy Spirit had already shared with him who Nathaniel was. Now, I couldn't find, like, that's what the commentators are saying. They're a lot more theologically brained than I am. So, you know, I'm not making that scripture. What I am saying is that there's the context of, I knew you, I saw you, I see who you are. And even without him being gone, the fact is, is that Jesus immediately, without ever having met him, knew exactly the character and the integrity that Nathaniel walked in, and he called it out. He saw him. And we are called to emulate Jesus. We're called to be like Jesus. We're called to look at other believers because Nathaniel was a follower of Jesus or a follower of God, I should say, which then turned him into a follower of Jesus, right? Amen. We're supposed to look at other people and we're supposed to see them, not the way that they are, not with their judgmental attitudes, not with those things, but in the beauty that God's created them, right? And that's what we talk about when we're talking about digging for gold in people. We're talking about making sure that we're paying attention to who they are and to find what God says is true and right about them and to call that out. 
Okay, and why is that important? Let me, let me explain why that's important. First of all, it changes people's lives. It's important. I said, how important is it to be righteously seen or known by the people of God? Right? That our right ways are seen and known by the people of God. It's so incredibly important that the right ways that we're walking in are recognized and called forth. When Sean and I, so Sean and I, I think most of you guys all know this, we get married at 18, 19. We bought a house at 18 and 19, and we lived in it while we did some seminary, and then we left. We sold our home, and we moved to YWAM, where we spent a year in training. And, um, and during that time, like, we were in Kansas City, and we had our group of friends, and we had our family that was really close, and, you know, and so we were kind of just doing life and that kind of stuff, but then we leave, and we go to Mission Field. We go to YWAM in Colorado Springs, actually, and we were being trained to become missionaries. Well, there was a lot of change that happened from the moment that we sold our home and left and moved to Colorado and then went on trips overseas all over the nations. And then we came home in that year. There was a lot of changing that had happened internally inside of Sean and I. The people who left Kansas City were not the same people who showed back up. Unfortunately, our close friends and family still expected us to behave like we were and not like we were now. They still saw the old Sean and Misty. And so, you know, my family is absolutely amazing. So I'm not saying this as a negative thing. I'm saying this as an illustration to understand something that's really, really important in the body of Christ. What would happen is my family loves to tease. And so when I had first left to the mission field, I, I had um, hypoglycemia, which is a sugar disorder, and, um, and on top of that, which meant I was on a crazy strict diet, and on top of all that, I was also the world's pickiest eater. I could probably have outmatched any of your children on being the most picky person in the world at 20-something years old. I still like, wouldn't touch most foods. And so I come home, and I remember, I remember like, eating something, or my mom was like, Misty, I'm making this for dinner. I know you don't like any of it, so I'm going to be making this. I'm like, no, no, that sounds great. And she's like, you don't like any of that stuff, so I'm going to make you this. I'm like, no, I don't need that. Fix me. I'll just eat with everybody else. And she was just like, who are you? Well, in the beginning, that was, you know, like, it was fine. But when it came to character issues or things that, like, Misty always does this. Misty is like this. It really began to hurt. It really began to hurt because that wasn't who I was anymore. During the time in YWAM, that's where I got healed from rejection. And so my reactions and my responses were not the same anymore. I had grown up a lot into the Lord during that year. I had understood that he actually, I began to understand in that year that he actually spoke to me. That I could sit down and read my Bible and then ask him questions and I could journal his answers because he actually talked to me. What is that? I didn't understand that. I knew he talked to me a little bit, but I didn't know that it was like something that could happen every day. I really didn't, you know, and so I had grown tremendously in the Lord, and my family were still stuck a year behind in who I was, because it was really, I mean, internet was pretty, you know, it was a long time ago, right? (laughs) I'm old, you know, and so, so understanding who, like that, it, was, it began to be one of those things where I began to, 
I would cry. We would drive, we would drive home, or I would go into our room. I, I think we were staying with, it, with my parents, and I would just sit there, and I was just like, they don't even know who I am. They don't even want to see that I've changed. They just keep putting me back into the place I was before, and I'm so tired of trying to crawl out of that box. I'm so tired of it, because what happened was my growth in the Lord started to get stunted because all I kept trying to do was defend that I wasn't that person anymore. And my family wasn't trying to be negative. They just didn't know that I had grown. They were trying to discover who I was, and whenever I would do something that was outside of my character, they were shocked by it, and so it would, they would, it would come out. Oh, that's not who you are, right? But there's this culture that I want to see shifted within the body of Christ where we don't continue to look at people when they get saved as that person anymore. Because what happens then is that person then gets stunted because they keep just trying to crawl out of the box of who they're not anymore and they don't actually have the freedom to run into who they are. Because they're always like this. Right? That's not how we're supposed to see Christians. Look at this scripture verse. I've told the people in the back not to put up these scripture verses because I've actually broken them down very detailed and all of you stop listening to me and you start reading all my other words. So I'm going to read the scripture verse to you first and then I'll let you read and cheat, okay? Read and cheat. You'll do that in a minute. I'm not letting you cheat today though. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 is where we're going to start. It says, and he himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and to live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. All right, now I'm going to break this down. Now we can pop up the scripture verses and you can start to cheat, okay? Because, yeah, I have lots of words on here. He himself bore our sins. The word sins means that which is done wrong, a sin, an offense, a violation of the divine law in thought or act. I want to make sure I'm clear. That's what a sin is, okay? That's what the Bible's talking about. He bore them in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin. The phrase die to sin means having ceased, the word die means having ceased to be what we were before. It's gone. If I died right now, I stopped being who I was. I now am a body on the floor, a lump, and my spirit is no longer part of that, right? I stopped being what I was before. How many of you guys have felt or touched something that was dead? Something changes, right? Depending on how long it's been dead for, it really changes, right? It stopped being what it was before, right? So when you died to sin... You're no longer part of it, right? Just like my body and my spirit are no longer part of, are together when I've died, sin has now, I've died to sin, right? It's no longer a part of me. It's been broken out of me. It says we've parted with sin. We're apart, okay? What was once together because we were born into sin has now been broken apart, Okay, And we're to live to righteousness. The word to is also could be onto or unto. And that actually means that's the, that's, uh, what's the word? Um, 
the putting something on, I can't remember the word. It's the same thing that we put on the, the Holy Spirit. We're putting on the Holy Spirit. We're putting on righteousness. It's the same thing. We're to live in righteousness. We're, we're to have him on. We're to wear righteousness around, okay? For by his wounds you were healed. You were cured. You were made whole, from free from all of your errors and sins. Do you see that word, free from your errors and sins? right? Do you see how he's making a division, a line right down the middle, and he's going, all the dead is here. All of your sins, all of your errors, all the things that you've done wrong, they're here, and now you've been parted from them, and now you're free, right? It's a really important thing for us to understand, because when we're looking around at other believers, if we don't begin to understand that, we're going to be hurting them with our way that we're talking to them. We're going to be hurting them with the way that we view them. Okay? Now, the next scripture is verse 25, and it says, For you were, that's past tense, it actually means were, means past, it happened before, were continually strained like sheep. But now, the word now means right now and from now on, for the rest of time. Okay, these are really important words to get when we read these scripture verses. I'm not trying to be like, obnoxious to you. I'm just really trying to paint a picture that says we have to begin to think like this as believers toward other people around us. You have returned to the shepherd. He who cares for you has control um, and control others having com um, committed themselves whose precepts they follow. Okay, so this is a person who cares for, controls us. If we've committed ourselves to Jesus... He cares over us, and he tells us where to go and what to do, right? That's what a shepherd does with sheep. He tells them where to go. He guides them along their path. And when they start to try to run off the cliff, he pulls them back. And he's like, no, no, you don't want to go that way. I'm pretty sure that you don't want to go off the cliff. You know, and he's constantly caring for us and guarding and, and shepherding us. And the guardian, that's a man who's charged with the duty of seeing that things are done by others. They're done rightly. So he's constantly making sure that we're doing what's right, right? So He's guarding us, and he's caring for us, and he's shepherding us, right? And this is of your souls. That's your feelings, your desires, your affections, and your aversions, right? So the things that we're adverse to, like the things that we don't like, he begins to guard us. He begins to shepherd us even in those things. So the things that he loves, he shows us how to walk in, and the things that he's adverse to, we also become averse to them as well, right? He trains us and teaches us and guides us and walks with us. That's who he is. But pay attention to this. As we're walking through these different things, this is who you were. And he draws a really clear line. You've been parted from the power of sin and you've been set free. And now Jesus, as your guardian and as your shepherd, he's the one who gets to guide you and direct you and move you, okay? We have to be guided, directed, and moved by him or he's not our shepherd and he's not our Lord and he's not our savior. And then we're in trouble. Okay? If we get saved and nothing happens, then nothing happened. We have to let him guard us and shepherd us and guide us and move us and adjust us. Now, if that's happening, then that means that there's always something changing in us, right? Right? whether we see it or not. Even when you don't see me growing on the outside, maybe you're doing something on the inside that you can't see. Maybe God's working on the inside of me, 
and you don't see that because he's working through my, my belief patterns. My belief patterns haven't caught up yet, but he's changing my belief patterns, and I'm beginning to think about things differently than I used to. That's not visible to the outside world. And so what we have to begin to do is we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to go, God, what do you see in this person? What are you doing in them right now? And that's why we use the term digging for gold. What happens when we are minors? Not young people, but people who are mining for things like gold. When you're minors, you can't vote. You have restricted license. Okay. When you're mining for gold and you're inside of a mountain, is that a clean, comfortable place to be? Who's ever been into the mountain, like into any sort of like cave? Okay, who's, maybe I should say who's not been in a cave. <laughs> Jessica has not been in a cave. I'm so sorry. You should go in a cave. They're very cool. And literally, they're cool. <laughs> She's like, I don't want to. I've seen pictures of those things. Okay, when you're mining for things like gold, it's dirty work. Right? You get dirt all over you because you're literally pulling dirt from the walls and you're getting it out, Right? dirt and rocks and hard things and heavy things. You're picking up burdens and you're putting them into carts and you're moving them out. And the whole entire goal and focus is to look for that one vein of gold. Right? Now, what miners are, I should say, are miners successful is if they walk into a mine every single day and they're like, look at all this dirt. Ugh, that's disgusting. What am I doing in here? And all they can see is the dirt. What are they going to miss? They're going to miss the gold. If their focus changes to the dirt, to the enormous amount of work that they're going to have to do to find that one little vein of gold, they're missing the perspective. They've lost hope. That's when they quit. Right? When we're digging for gold and you're doing it with the hope that you're going to get rich, that you're going to find something, you're in there and you're searching, and every single day is an exciting adventure. Because you're like, today is the day. Today is the day. I was reading about some people in Peru, and it's actually a horrible place to work. I can't even imagine. Like some, This is one of those atrocities that you find in the world that you just would love to see something changed about. But there's a place in Peru that's like 17,000 feet. It's the tallest it's the highest place you can mine for gold. And what they do is they work for the companies, whoever the companies are, for 30 days straight without pay. Any gold that they find is the companies. And then they get one day to go and to look for gold for themselves. And anything that they get that day, they get to keep. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But look, there's so many people there. They were showing pictures of all the people that were working there because they have hope in that one day that they're going to make it rich. They stay out of hope. Or I should say they go out of hope. They probably stay out of desperation after a while because the rest of the story is pretty horrible. But when you look at the people like the gold, the gold rush in the 1800s, people would move they're all across the nations. You know, they would come you know, to Colorado and to different places in California, and they were looking for gold with the hope that they would find something. What would it look like as believers if that's what we started to do? Amen. Every single person we saw, we were like, 
oh, there's so much gold in you. There's so much gold in you. Do you know who you are? Do you know what God's created you to be? Because when I, was, when I saw you over there, the Holy Spirit said, this is who you are. Did you know that that's in you? What would happen if we felt seen by believers? Amen. What does that do for us? What it does, when I, from my experience personally, is that I don't have to continue to try to crawl out of the box of who I am and try to prove myself anymore. Instead, I get to go, you saw something in me? I've been working on that for six months. I've been working to change the way I believe about that for six months, and you just saw it. That means that it's actually come out of me. That means that it was actually visible. That means that I've grown. You just told me that I'm doing something great. And now I have the energy to continue to go on and hope. Does that make sense? But it also means this. For all of you who are like, yay, we no longer have to say anything bad to people because all we now get to do is just tell you how amazing you are. Let me break that for you. Sorry. Digging for gold is dirty work. It's messy. It's hard. And that means that you get into the life of other people. That means you get permission to go in. You don't just bully your way in because you're a believer. You know, I don't just get a phone call and to say, hey, we're going to meet together and I'm going to tell you all the things that you need to do to get the dirt out of your, your mountain. <laughs> it's not the way it's going to work, okay? Because what happens is we have to have permission to go in, right? When people would come to Colorado, they would have to get permission to go into the mountain, they had a place that they were allowed to go into. They had a door. They had boundaries. They were allowed to go into their mine, right? Not their neighbor's mine, theirs. When we're in relationship with people, we have to have permission to go into their mine with them. That comes out of relationship. That comes out of friendship, right? That comes from me sitting down and having a cup of coffee, and learning that that person's safe and that that person actually hears the Holy Spirit and that they're not judgmental, right? And then I begin to share stuff and then that friend gets to look at me and say, hey, I can, show, I can help pull some dirt from your mountain. I can help you look for that strain of gold that's in you, that's beautiful, that God wants to blow on and refine, right? Because we invite people into our mountain and we have to allow them in, but that happens through friendship, that happens through being trustworthy, that happens through being honorable about who they are. We don't bully ourselves in there. We make room for them, but then when we do, we look for the thing that God's doing in them. We look for the vein of gold, the run of gold that's in there, and then we begin to excavate it. Look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the other person might have gotten tired, and they might be looking at all the dirt, and they're like, all I've done for days is dig dirt out and I just keep dumping these heavy burdens out and I just am exhausted and I don't think I have it in me another day. And you're like, yeah, but did you see that? There's a glimmer of hope right here because I just saw gold. God's blowing on that. Let's excavate that for a few minutes. Let's take time to just dwell on the beauty that God's created right here and let's pull that out and let's see what happens when it becomes refined. Let's refine this together. That's what it looks like to be part of the family of God.
That's what it looks like to love others in community well, right? Okay, let's read some scripture verses that tell me that I'm right, okay? <laughs> okay, James 5, 16. Again, he can't put it up there. He's been banned. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Why did I have to go to that one? Sorry. Okay, and then a couple verses later, it says in 5, 19 and 20, it says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. Okay, this is saying to the brethren. This is not talking to pastors. It had already talked to the elders a minute ago when it says, if you're sick, come and have the elders pray for you the prayer of faith and they will cover you and heal you. And if you have sins, they will be forgiven of you, okay? That's talking about the elders. This one's talking to the brethren. That means us. That doesn't exclude us women. We're part of the brethren, okay? Come on, brother. That's right. That's right. All right. Now you may put, put up the scripture. There you go. Therefore confess, which means to wholly agree with God about your sins. Publicly. What does that mean? Does that mean that you need to come up to church in the front row and be like, no, it doesn't. What it does mean is that you get people around you who you can trust, who you can talk to about your sin, because shame makes you hide it. And when you hide shame, it grows. If we try to fix our, our sin by ourselves, what happens is we usually focus on it and it becomes so big that we can't get away from it. Okay? So, so this is telling us, come and bring it to light. Tell somebody, all right? Confess, wholly agree with God about your sins and um, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed, that you may be made whole, cured, and free from your errors and your sins. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And verse 19 and 20 says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, if they are deceived, if they're seduced, if they're wandered, if they leave the path, if they roam from safety or truth or virtue, that's what it means to be straying, okay? Any of those things. And one turns him back, any person, any brethren turns him back, let him know that he who has turned a sinner from the error, the wandering, the mental strain of his ways, will sozo a soul, save, heal, deliver, set free from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. We're called to do that as the body of Christ. That's not just Pastor Misty's job because she's the restorations pastor. I've been called to be this so I can equip you guys how to restore people. Right? That's what we're called to do. We're called to restore them back, bring them back into union with the Lord. And then the last one is Galatians 6.1. Brethren, even if one is, if, I should start over. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, let's read that together with the extras. Okay, brethren, if any one of you is caught in any trespass, that means to fall beside, to lapse, or have deviation from the truth or uprightness. That means you've sinned or you have a misdeed, okay? Any of those types of things. You who are spiritual, that means one who is filled and governed by the Spirit of God. That's a huge perspective. It doesn't mean that I'm spiritual and perfect. It means that I'm yielded to the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm listening to him. I'm being governed by him. I am letting him, what does it say, be my shepherd and my guardian. And as I stay in that place, not of perfection, but of living rightly before the Lord, letting him guard me and shepherd me, then I get to help go in and restore. That means to mend what's been broken, to help repair a person who's fallen and restore them in a spirit of gentleness. That literally means to be gentle. Right. That's not accusatory. That's gentle. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. What does that mean? Well, that means that we don't become judgmental about that person and begin to step into a place of sin ourselves, where we think that we're better than them, where we think that we have something else worked out, that we're all perfect and they are the broken ones and I just have to come and fix you because I'm the spiritual one. Then I've stepped outside, right? And I've fallen. I have to pay attention to myself. Okay? Bear, which means to sustain, uphold, support one another's burdens. Something that weighs them down. That's like the huge rocks that you have to excavate from the mountain. Those are burdens. And thereby fulfill the law of Christ, which means to love people, right? When, as I wrap up, I'm going to tell this one last story. I think that's going to kind of pull it all together. A few weeks ago, Sean and I left and we went to um, Texas. And while we went to get our rental car, there was some issues. If you know anything about the rental car situation right now, it's tragic. And we were told there was like a 50% chance of us getting a car on the day that I had to leave. That was fun. And so I'm standing there. They're working stuff out for us. And actually, at that moment, Sean was on the phone call trying to get some things worked out to, to get everything finished. And I'm standing there with these two guys that are working at the rental car facility. And I have on the shirt that Greg gave me, which was my rest, it's the re, my um, Sozo ministry shirt that Greg gave me out of joke. And it says, keep talking, I'm diagnosing you, okay? <laughs> so I'm wearing this shirt. I totally had forgotten that I'm wearing this shirt. And so one of the guys, one of the guys just looks at me and he was like, so are you a psychologist or something? And, I, and I'm like, I, I kind of just, I, first I forgot that I'm wearing this shirt. And so I'm like, uh, what? He's like, your shirt. And I was like, oh, <laughs> No, I said, I'm a, I, I just told it simply. I just said, no, I, I work at, the, at a church as a counselor. I just left it super simple. And he was like, oh. And um, he was like, that's really cool. I used to go to church. And he starts talking to me about his spiritual background. And the other guy's sitting over there, and he's listening. And he goes, I bet people are scared to hang out with you <laughs> at any sort of event. And I, was, I just kind of looked at him, and I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, you know all their junk. He was like, he was like, that'd be intimidating. And I just sat there for a second. Like, I'm thinking, I don't even know how to respond to this. And I literally am like going, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to say. Like, and, and I, I was like, I finally just go, well, I said, you know, I don't look at it like that. I said, when people come in, I said, I'm really excited that they're ready to shed the stuff that they're walking in and that they're moving towards something. I said, because people come for counseling are the ones who are really actually trying to walk out of something. And I said, so I am excited that they come. And I said, because they're growing. I was like, I said, I see the growth. I don't really, I said, everybody comes from something. I said, everybody has junk in their past that they don't like. I'm like, but when you're actually ready to shed it, and to move forward, I'm like, those people are awesome. I said, and I'm excited to know them. And I was like, so I, I said, maybe there's some people who are scared of me. But I was like, most of the time, I have pretty good relationship with the people I talk to. You know, and, and it was one of those things where he sat there and he was like, 
huh, I guess you're right. I've never considered that. You know, and it's that perspective that I want to see develop deep here in the culture of our church. When we talk to somebody, we're constantly listening to the Lord going, where are you going with that person? Where's the pieces? What are you doing in them? And how do I breathe on that and go, ooh, can I help you refine that? That's gold. Right? Or if it's dirt, we're like, hey, there's a big dumpster here. We're going to just dump it in here and keep moving. Right? Because we're not worried about it because we're looking for something that's more. Because people who are in Christ are walking and they're growing and they're developing and they're moving. Right? That's the culture that we have to become. Okay? Now, I've gone past my time, so Sean's probably glaring at me, but I can't see him because I don't have my glasses on. So there we go. I'm going to pray. Yep, Jesus, we just, we just give you any place in us that holds people to their past. Yeah, but they hurt me. Or yeah, but I don't see it. And God, we just declare that even when we don't see it, you're working. You're working in those people. God, and we just declare out even the testimonies of little steps that they've taken, we just declare out they're going to continue to take them. And God, we get to partner with them. Would you choose to help us? I guess you've already you called us to do this. We choose, we choose to step into seeing the golden people, helping them dig for gold in themselves, helping them to have hope that they can continue to walk this way, that they have something beautiful that you've created in them, and that you're refining them. You're doing something amazing. Yeah, Jesus, we just, we step into that. We break off any place in us that begins to think that we're spiritual or that we're not spiritual because we make mistakes. And God, we just say we want to help people. We want to love people like you do. We want to see the beauty and the gold in them and breathe on it with you and call them in and encourage them and steer them towards you, Jesus. Yeah, we break off the places in us that hold people back. And would you forgive us for those times when we've declared over somebody that's who you are and we've aligned with the enemy in condemnation and we have not stepped into a place of hope and declaration over their lives. Yeah, God, we want to live in a place of constant hope, of constant expectation that you're working in people. And we want to be excited to jump in there and to help them out, Jesus. Yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.